us here tonight. I'll get this set up in just a second. Appreciate those songs that TJ just led. They really go well with the theme. They express very well the idea, both in this morning and this evening's lesson, and the idea of making that journey, of progressing, of, as we talked about and have several times, perfecting our holiness um, that we're going to talk more and more about. But I appreciate that, and tonight we're going to return to really a series of lessons that I was doing that kind of got interrupted by the snow, and uh, then of course we had our fifth fifth Sunday lesson. But it's all right, because this lesson in one sense is is what you might refer to as a standalone lesson, especially, although to some degree they all have been in uh, in these three lessons. We're talking about self-control, obviously. And we're talking about what it takes to gain self-control, and tonight, more than anything else, to increase self-control. I've said in each of the previous two lessons, and I really believe that if you are going to really take an initiative to have more personal holiness, to be more holy, as we were talking about this morning, that that is going to have to include a great consideration of your own self-control, your personal self-control. I know that's redundant, but of self-control. In other words, I'm going to have to take control of my life, and I'm going to have to look at it honestly and deal with it fervently if I'm going to be holy. Um, The process to to holiness, I think, depends on self-control. Now, let's back up for a moment and say it like this. I think we all understand, and I believe we all would readily admit that exercise, physical exercise, makes one stronger physically. About four years ago this month is when I started trying to get a little more healthy. That's been a grueling process. It really hasn't. It's been great. But I started trying to get more healthy. It started very slowly because I was in a bad place physically. But as I got healthier and I ate, and I don't eat perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but I eat a lot healthier than I did four years ago. Um, I don't exercise anywhere near what I hope to get to, but I exercise a whole lot more. I make it a point to do quite a bit of walking uh, each week. And you feel yourself getting stronger and stronger. And, And I thought about this as I was preparing this lesson. When I first began about four years ago, My back was in bad, bad shape. Jules knows this. A lot of you know that. Um, So much so that as, you know, even trying to stand up and preach or stand for any length of time became extremely painful. And now, I sometimes find myself, and my back hurts a little bit from time to time, because you don't carry as much weight as I did for as long as I did without, you know, doing a little bit of damage and so forth. It's, it's amazing. I don't notice it. And going through a day, several days, even a week or a couple of weeks where your back never hurts is an incredible thing if you've been where I was. So it makes you stronger. Now, having said all of that, this is not a lesson about you know, getting in shape. But what it is a lesson about is comparing that to your spiritual life. It may be out of control. It may be that there are sins in your life that are out of control. And you have to start. Because God would say you have to be controlled, you have to get better, and you have to move toward being holy if you're going to be right with God. 
And so we have to exercise self-control. Now, one more thing about the weight gain and all of that, and then I'll leave it. But you've heard me say a number of times, you know, that that had to start with you, you walk into a store and you're going in there to buy celery and the Reese's are calling you from five or six hours away, you know. Well, you have to exercise some self-control. And you have to go through all those things that tell you, you know, we came for celery, not Reese's cups and all of that kind of thing. The same is true in your spiritual life. Sin will call to you. Sin will reach out and it will grab you. And if you've ever really given over to a sin, you realize that you're going to spend some time going through that calling out process. Where you're going to have to deal with it. And it may be that to a degree you have to deal with it from now on. Um, because it's going to call to you. And if you're going to answer the call, I'd like for you to open up with me to our passage in 1 Peter 1. I'm not going to teach you everything about it tonight, but we're looking at it all year. But if you're going to answer God's call to be holy, and you'll notice... God is calling us in this passage. And that's the way that Peter uh, puts it in here, is answering a call to God to be holy. But you'll notice that Peter begins in verse 13. And I read this passage uh, even this morning. The idea of gird up your loins. Gird up the loins of your mind. I'm going to come back to that. But gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Or some of your translations say, be self-controlled. Verse 14, as obedient children. Notice that. I'm a child of God. If you've been baptized, you're here tonight. If you've been baptized, you're a child of God. That doesn't mean you're obedient. Just because you have been baptized, once baptized, not necessarily always obedient. I know we understand that. But this passage is calling to us to be obedient children. And notice in verse 14, not fashioning yourselves according to the former as I put it on your outline. And I know the passage says your former lust, your desires, etc., in your ignorance. Now here's the idea going all the way back to where we began this study. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn there or just be mindful of the first three verses in that passage. What Paul was saying is you are dead to trespasses and sins. If you are a saint, if you are a holy individual, if you are a child of God... You are dead to trespasses and sins. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means you don't live like other people live. You don't walk according to the former lust, as Peter is saying, or according to the lust and desires of your flesh and of your mind, as Paul talks about there. You don't live like others live, uh, as children of wrath, giving heed to the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. No, you are an obedient child of God, and you live accordingly. If you're still in 1 Peter, turn over to chapter 4, another passage we'll visit throughout the year. But in 1 Peter 4, and look at the first few verses here. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, that is, of Christ. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he... that he would no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh of, or in the flesh to the lust of men, if I can get it out, but to the will of God. He's going to live the rest of his time according to God's will. Now we think back again to the first lesson. David is saying the law of God. It begins with a love for the law of God. I love God's law. I love God's word. The delight that I have in my life is to live faithfully to the word of God, to the law of God. I don't 
grit my teeth and wish I didn't have to be obedient to God. No, it's a good life. And the more I am obedient, the more I will enjoy it and take delight in it. Notice as he goes on here in 1 Peter 4. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. In short, we may have been satisfied to live like the world in times past. That might have been fine. I remember that. I was thinking about being in high school, and I was thinking about a really close friend of mine, and I was actually thinking about something that we went and did, filthy, shouldn't have done it, all of that kind of thing. And I remember, we, you know, it was satisfying. It was what we wanted to do. We went, we did it. And I think back to that time, and I think, how different now? And it's not just that God says don't do that. That would be part of it. But it's gone way past that. It has gone to what do you really want to do? How do you, what do you take delight in? I once took delight in all kinds of things that were not right. But when I do them now, I just feel bad. My conscience bothers me. I don't want to do those things. I don't plan to do those things. It's, it's just a different way of thinking, a different life. So as... Peter is saying here. might have been sufficient in the past to live like that, but it's not any longer. When we walked in lasciviousness and lust and excesses like of wine and revelings and banquetings and all these terms that have to do with partying and all the things that go on in the world, abominable idolatries even, serving false gods and everything that would attend with that. And so as Peter says, they, people in the world may think it's strange where you are where your mind is, and what the way you think now. They may think that's strange. And that you don't just run with them to the same excess, verse 4. You may do wrong, but you're not just headlong involved in that, and that's the way you live your life, and that's what drives you. It is not any longer. So, you know, verse 5, you will give account to him that is ready to judge the living and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according uh, to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. That's where we are. A love for the law of God, a determination, as we talked about in the second lesson, to be self-controlled, to look at those areas of life where it might begin. You may remember the watermark and the idea of controlling your tongue, and none of us does that perfectly. But the more you focus on areas like that, to be more controlled, the more it will bleed over into other parts of your life. And I think we can see a principle there. But let's go further. Go back to chapter 1 and notice again verses 15 and 16. What he's saying here is, As he which has called you is holy, so you be holy in all manner of conversation, in all areas of life, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Drop down to verse 22 and notice the point here, kind of tying the lessons together. In verse 22 he says, Seeing you have purified your souls, in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned, literally non-hypocritical, uh, that's not really an English word, but non- or unhypocritical love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart and fervently. Look at verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. 
I want you to think about what he's saying there. You are born again by the Word of God, lived by the Word of God. Turn back a page or two to James chapter 1. Remember our Man in the Mirror series theme and the passage we focused on in James 1? And look down at James 1, and we'll drop right in the middle of this, but look at verse 22. Isn't Peter saying the same thing? Be doers of the Word. I love the law of God. I know it is right. I want to bring the law of God into my life. I want to, as Bill read for us in 2 Peter 1, I want to supply my faith, add to my faith, equip my faith. Different translations, but all of them say, I want my faith to grow. And I want added to my faith all of these things, including self-control. Again, look at James 1.22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. There's a very real difference in reading the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, and doing the Word of God. And I know we all understand that. One can read it. Many people do. Atheists do. Steve Allen read it as he would travel around the country for speaking engagements. Some of you older people remember Steve Allen. And he would would read it. He was an atheist. He would jot down notes about it. And eventually he put out a very popular supposed commentary from an atheist point of view on the Bible back in the 90s. Some of you may remember that. Very popular, as a matter of fact. You can read the Word of God and not believe it. Or you can read it and know it and not believe it. You can read it and know it and believe it and not do it. Or you can read it and intimately know it and take delight in it and obey it, live it, and it will do something for you. And that's what James is saying here. Be doers of the word. Notice verse 23. If any is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in that mirror. We talked at length about that. He beholds himself and he goes his way and he straightway forgets what manner, what kind of man he was as he looked in the mirror. That's why I put up that picture like I did this morning. I'm staring in the mirror and I'm saying, Michael, this area of your life has got to be holy. It's got to be brought into control. It's got to be brought under the control of God. And the only way that's going to happen, verse 25, notice, you gaze into the law of liberty, verse 25, that perfect law of liberty, and you continue it. You look at it, you see it, you do it, and you continue it. You live it. As Peter is talking about all manner of conversation, you are holy. The Lord would have us to be living examples of His Word or products of His Word, if you will. It's why Paul would say, and there's so many passages I started to put down here, let me touch on a couple. It's why Paul would say, you are an epistle read of men. Because when people see you, they look at your life and they read you. If you are living like the Bible teaches to live, they are reading a product of, of the Gospel. They are literally reading the Word of God because it is a living word, and it is exemplified in people. If you are, to touch on the Sermon on the Mount that we've really been looking at, if you are the salt of the earth, if you are the light of the world, it's because people are experiencing you, and I hope you understand what I mean by this, but people are experiencing you. You as a Christian in this world, they are experiencing that, and it may be depending on who they are and where they come from and what environment we're talking about, it may be the only experience with Christianity they ever have. 
But if it is enough of an experience, and they are seeking something different from the world, it will be enough to draw them to God. And that's what those passages, I think, are teaching. Because people will see you. Go back to Psalm 119 for a moment. What did David say? I'm wiser than my teachers. I know more than the ancients. I have this advantage that is knowledge-wise. I have this advantage over everybody in the world. Why? Because I have the Word of God. And I take delight in it. I love it. And I live it. And that's the idea. Now, if that's going to happen, if people are going to see that and all of that is going to happen, There's got to be a daily application. It can't just be, and we all know this, it can't just be walking into this building and kind of checking your worldliness at the door and adding, as it were, a veil of holiness. It can't be that. I mean, there is something to be said for that. But it is not what the Lord is talking about. And that's not a life of self-control. It may be a life of controlling the moment. (laughs) You know, and a lot of people can control the moment. But it's not a life of self-control. No, the Lord is talking about a daily application. He is talking about being a different person. I want you to scan, and I'm not going to read all of these. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. There are numerous passages in the New Testament, most of them from the Apostle Paul, but not exclusively. But notice, there are passages that teach us about a transformation of life, a different life. Like Peter is touching on there, it might have been sufficient in the past to do so and so, But it's not now. Be holy in all manner of conversation. Well, practically speaking, what does that mean? Well, look at Ephesians 4 for a moment. In verse 17, when he starts and he says that you you and I should not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And just scan down through the passage. This is the passage about the new man. There are very practical things here. If you stole, don't steal anymore. If you, uh, you know, it was funny. Last night I went out to buy some some uh, soup for Montel. It was very funny. I went, first of all, to a Chinese restaurant because she wanted wonton soup. The place was busy, man, was it busy, you know. And so I put in my order and I sit there and I wait. And finally they notice that I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. And something happened in the back, you know, and they didn't get to it. And so the guy, he gets all frantic. I'm like, it's okay. And so he goes back there, he gets the soup, he brings it up there, he bags it up, and he hands it to me. Thank you. And I said, wait, I haven't paid. And he goes, oh, honest man, honest man, you know, like that kind of thing. I go directly from there next door to the convenience store. And whatever I bought was a little less than a round dollar, and so I hand the money to the person, and the guy's like, thank you, puts the thing in the drawer and turns to talk to his friend. I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) change? And he looks at me like I've committed a crime. And I thought, how funny that is, you know? How funny that is. You're honest in one place, and you go next door, and the other person is either trying to be dishonest or he's just absent-minded, and I won't make the charge. But, you know, I said to myself as I walked out, you know, if I don't want to cheat anybody out of one penny. And I don't want to be cheated out of one penny. And here was an example of back-to-back instances where both happened. You know, the point is, I know what it is to be a thief. told you that many times. I know what it is to have things stolen from me. And I'll tell you, I hate to be stolen from. You would think I would look at it every time and say, you deserve that. 
But I hate it. But you see, it's a different way of thinking, a different way of living. If you stole, don't steal anymore. If you lie, if that was your way of life, just lie. Just tell a lie if it's convenient. Tell a lie if it helps you get ahead. Just lie. Don't lie. If you are unkind, be kind. You see, all those things in this passage, it's just practical things. Everyday living. Do what you should do in every aspect of life. Turn a few pages over to Colossians 3. Notice how in Colossians 3, same thing, talking about the new man here. Put certain things to death in your life, verse 5. They need to be. I mean, things like fornication or, you know, things like covetousness or idolatry or whatever. Put those things to death. And whatever process it takes to kill them out of your life, kill them. And then all of these things about, and put on, like dressing yourself. Dress yourself in, in mercy and kindness. Down in verse 12, long-suffering. Not short-tempered people, but long-tempered people. And love and all, all of these. And so the point is, in passages like this, we're talking about a different way of living. A different kind of life. If you go to Matthew chapter 5, and those of you men, we've been doing this on, on Friday nights. We will again this coming Friday night. But you see, all those practical, everyday things Jesus talks about. And what's it saying? Be different. That's being holy. Sometimes maybe when we think of holiness, we may draw up in our minds a picture of, you know, of a person decked out in a robe and maybe incense is burning all around him and, you know, the, the, the pipe organ is playing in the background when he walks, wherever he is, you know. <laughs> maybe that's what we think of as holiness. That's not the picture of holiness in the New Testament. The picture of holiness in the New Testament is a simple situation in which you look at a Chinese guy who might have forgotten to charge you the money he should have charged you and said, I haven't paid you. And the guy looking at you like, wow. He may not say anything, he might not do anything, but he knows something is different about your life. I promise you this, if I go back in there on Monday or Tuesday, he may not be of our religion. He may not believe in the God we believe in. I have no idea, I don't know the guy. But if I hand him a card or something and I say to him, I'd like for you to take a look at this and think about this. He's going to, at the very least... Remember Friday night. Because you and I both know that you would pay if you were in the situation. But for every one of you that would, there's a lot of people out there that would have grabbed the food out the door and would have laughed at the fact the guy didn't charge you. There are too many of those people. So make a difference. Be different. You know, you can go out here... This coming week, it's supposed to snow again. I don't know if it will. But the day after it does, people are going to be even more rude than they normally are. And they're going to be even more angry at how they're getting slowed up and all of that thing. Give a smile every once in a while. A little bit of kindness. Watch the reactions of people when you do. It's amazing. It's that practical, everyday living. All right, so how does a person do that? How do you transition from being, you know, maybe the jerk you were when you were 15 and 16 years old? How do you transition from that to being what the Lord would have you to be as this new man in Jesus Christ? I think there are practical steps you take. And I'm not saying this is the end-all, you know, step-by-step -step process. But let's consider some things. 
How does one increase self-control? Well, it starts, again, you go back to 1 Peter 1, gird up, or girt up, the loins of your mind. Now, I've really looked at that in the last few days. It's a strange statement. Loins really means loins. And girt up is the idea not just of putting a belt on, but it's the idea of putting a brace on. And that's what a belt really is. It holds your pants up or something like that. And it's the idea of tightening it. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you think about it, the loins are procreative. I mean, that's one of the main reasons God created us as he did, is so we could reproduce children. But look with me at James chapter 1 for a moment. And you realize that oftentimes in the Bible, the idea of the reproduction is, and the analogy is used for the production of sin that begins in your mind. Look at James chapter 1 and down in verse 14. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then notice, when lust has conceived. That's the idea of a conception that takes place that would not take place if in my mind I girded up my loins. In other words, if in the mind I stopped the process, it would never get to the point of conception. Now, we all understand that. We adults all understand that. But you see, that's what God is saying. If you're going to be self-controlled, if you're going to... Be a person who lives a holy life. It's got to start in your mind because, and let's read a couple of passages. Look back with me at Proverbs and look at chapter 4. And I'm sure you're familiar with this passage, but in Proverbs 4, and what is it, verse 23? Lost my place in my notes there. But yeah, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Notice when the writer says, Keep your heart, your mind, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Jesus said something very similar. I'm not going to turn and read that, but in Matthew chapter 12. It's the issues of life that proceed from the mind. So if you want to be self-controlled, it's got to start with your mind. You're going to have to be self-controlled in your mind before you can ever bring your actions under control. I used to think about it like this, you know. If I, and I, and, and I still do, I wouldn't even say that, you know, it's a, a thing in the past. I can have anger issues real easy. And I certainly had anger issues as a, as a teenager, and those anger issues translated into a whole lot of violence. Well, if you're going to wait till the anger conceives and gets you to the point of being very violent and then think you're going to stop it, you're fooling yourself. You're going to be out of control. I know what that feels like. Maybe some of you do too. When you go past the point where no matter what you think or say to yourself, you ain't stopping You're just out of control. And so it has to begin in the mind. It has to begin with a mindset. And it has to begin with diligence being devoted to the way you think. I don't get violent. That's just a law for me. I'm not going to be violent. There there has to be an extreme situation that where... You know, some maybe the life of my wife or my child is threatened or something like that. Then I might be violent, but just the everyday action, somebody cuts me off on the road or, you know, and then wants to jump out of his car and be macho, it ain't worth it. And so you start 
thinking that way and preparing that way, and you see yourself in those situations, and you say to yourself, when I get, not if, when I get in those situations, this is what I'm going to think about, and you put triggers in your mind so you think a different way. Now, that's what the Bible is teaching. You gird up the loins of your mind. You think differently. Something out there, I want it, I see it, I know I could take it, but I don't live that way. I don't take what doesn't belong to me. I don't steal. So when a situation like that comes, you're going to have thought it out, you know exactly what you're going to do, and you really respond. It's like a mechanism, automatic response. Uh, I haven't paid. It's different, and that's the point. Start with your mind, because out of it come the issues of life. Turn with me to the New Testament, to Romans 12. Isn't that exactly what Paul is saying when as priest, remember last year as we talked about this, we sacrifice ourselves? But look at verse 2 of Romans 12. Be not conformed to this world. Isn't that the same as what Peter is saying? Not fashioning yourself after the lust and so forth. Be conform, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It has to start in the mind. And you have to see yourself as a new man. This idea of... Now, I understand humility. I understand the idea of I'm not very good because we feel that. And I'm not taking away from the honesty that says that. I know God is holy. I'm not. That's why you see me put it up on the PowerPoint charts. I understand that. But it can become, if we're not careful, a real cop-out. I can begin to see myself as an unholy person. I'm not holy. Therefore, I don't live a holy life. Therefore, it really doesn't matter because, hey, I'm not holy. Now, what I have to be saying to myself, what I have to be looking in the mirror and seeing is a holy individual. I am a saint. God has said it. I belong to God. I am a holy person. I am a new man. And I've got to see myself that way. Because from there, as I begin to say to myself, and I'm going to give you some words. To me, they are power words. For me personally, they may or may not be to you. But I've asked myself, what does it mean, Michael, for you to be a new man? It means you're going to be a different person. It means you're going, you are reborn. And you're going to live that way. You're renewed. You're changed. You're converted. You're reformed. You're regenerated, brought back to life. You are repurposed and rechanneled. And when I go through terms like that, a long list of them, I just cut it off there. It begins to say something to me inside. It says, man, you're not that person. You know, yesterday, February 6th, 1977, 39 years and one day ago, I went down to the front and I was baptized into Christ. I am not the person I was over 39 years and a day ago. I'm not that person. And I need to see myself as an individual who is new. Remember this morning when I put up here, washed, sanctified, Justify. I need to see that. And then thirdly, my objective has to change. And I want you to listen to this carefully. 
Dale, I can never be a Christian. That's what I said to him. Because I know the Bible is a bunch of thou shalt and thou shalt not, and I just don't think that way. (laughs) I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Not even God. I'm not going to live my life getting up every day and looking at my life by God says you can do this and God says don't do that. I'm not living that way. Dale was patient. I'm thankful. (laughs) But here's my point in all of that. My objective, I want you to understand, I don't think very much in terms of thou shalt, thou shalt not. I don't think very much now. And I realize it's been a lot of years now. But it has to change from just what I have to do. That's how we read. Godly people, holy people in the Bible, we don't read them saying, I'd really rather be doing something else, but I know I have to do so and so. They don't live like that. They're doing what they want to do. And they're letting us know they love doing it. When we look back in the Psalms and we look at the godly people, the holy people, David writing about when he's doing what he really feels good about doing, it is never, I have to do, I must do. That's not the tenor. The the tenor of the passage is, it's what I want to do. I love doing it. What I, not what I can do. What I can get away with. It's not that idea of, can I do this? I can't tell you the number of times that people will come to me or come to other preachers and say, can I do so-and-so? That's not even the question. The question is not, how much God can I do and get away with, and you'll say it's okay, slide on in. If that's the way I live, you might start that way. As an immature faith, because that's what little children do, don't they? Mama, can I do this? Daddy, can I do that? That's fine, but it's got to grow to the point past what can I do and get away with to what I want to do. And I can't live my life saying, well, I really want to do this over here. I know i got to do this, but I want to do this. My love, my passion has to change from that I think I want to do to this over here. That I'm now looking at as a restriction. I'm looking at as a limitation. I've got to get passionate about it. Somehow, some way, I've got to really love being holy. And that's going to take work. Do you think you're going to come out dripping wet from the waters of baptism and suddenly you just love being a holy individual? Well, I don't read that. And truthfully, I've never known anybody like that. Even the best of people, even the most sinless people who are baptized realize at some point it's going to be a struggle. Because Satan is going to see to it. And there's got to be a different mindset here. And there's got to be a different objective. Not just what may I do, can I do, what can I get away with doing, all of that. No, to a passionate love for doing what's right. And lastly exercising that. Knowing what you can do and what you can't do. But emphasizing in your mind, this is really what I want to do to the point that it becomes a way of life. Bad habits have to change to good habits. And good habits have to be exercised in your life 
until they are a way of life. I told you this often. I will continue to tell you. Because you, you just have to understand where it's coming from. I hated getting up in the morning and eating breakfast. One of my problems was go way till late. Jules can tell you. Way till late in the day. And then when you're starving, start packing in a lot of food. That's all wrong. Now I get up and my body starts saying, are we eating yet? <laughs> when are we going to eat? Breakfast time. Hey, Michael, we got to eat breakfast. And man, if I get up and go an hour, and I don't most days, but if I go an hour and I don't eat, my body is saying, come on, dude, it's time for breakfast. That is a totally different way of life. But you see, what's happened is I made myself, made myself, until it became a good habit, and then I kept exercising it until now my mind and body are totally in sync and screaming out at me, we ain't going back. We're doing this. And that's what has to happen spiritually. I'm not going back to those things of that guy way back there. I'm not going back to that. I'm doing this, and I'm doing it to the point that I can't live without doing it. And then I'll know that I'm well on my way. It's the idea of exercising self-control, of 2 Corinthians 7, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, as you look at yourself, and, I, and this has not been a lesson, and I hope you don't take this like this is a lesson of, wow, Michael thinks he's self-control and nobody else is. It's not that. 